Amen. Well, once again, if you're in the room and I see you this morning as I'm sharing, uh, going like this, I know what it means. I know what it means. Ravens just scored. I also know that you're not taking notes on your phone. You're doing something else. Um, And if I see you like this, you're just worshiping God. Amen. I already know the Ravens are doing great this morning, and uh, I'm not worried about it. So, uh, hey, before we get into week three of By the Spirit today, I want to share something with you that I've been working on for a while and and working with our pastoral team and also our elder board, um, the the spiritual authority of our church. And, uh, And we've been putting something together as we've gone through 100 years of faithful ministry in Baltimore City and County um, and around the world. And as we're looking ahead to who we are in our community and what God is wanting to do uh, through us, we wanted to do something that unifies us as a church and also sets culture, sets culture here. Who are we and what has God called us to do? So we wanted to come together for a culture setting moment with a unifying statement that we're going to say often here at Trinity. Oftentimes before we get into the word, before we read scripture together, as we get ready for God to do something in us, sometimes at the end of service, if you're at a sisterhood or brotherhood gathering, a, a Trinity youth or young adult service or a kids event, we might say it at one of those things, but just something that ties us all together. It's also something you're going to see on the walls in the lobby in the coming weeks. And I wanted you to be ready for that. And I wanted to introduce it to you today. I'm going to uh, read through this and explain it to you. Then we're going to say it together. This is the Trinity Declaration. The Trinity Declaration. It says this, I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. This is a statement that acknowledges God. We say that God designed me and he destined me. I have purpose that I'm just drenched drenched with. I have purpose flowing before me and behind me. God has made me for a reason, and part of that, uh, part of that reason means I'm here today, and I'm aligning myself with the Creator. It says that I am invited, loved, chosen, and called. You know, sometimes at Trinity, someone walks in the, in the doors, and you may have felt like this before, where you, uh, you're a junior varsity Christian, you are an uninvited, non-special. You are a, uh, a back row, in the shadows, um, forgotten, an outcast person in our culture. And maybe that's come into your thinking about the family of God. There is, there is no outcast in the family of God. There's no forgotten child in the family of God. Everybody that is part of his body matters crucially. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, But this is why we say, I am invited. I am invited and I'm loved. I'm chosen and I'm called. We say, because God has my full attention and cheerful yes, I am good soil for the good news. We're communicating that I not only am going to pay attention and turn my eyes to the Lord, but I am ready to obey whatever he says. Whatever God calls me to, I have predecided to give him my yes. I'm already all in. Before God speaks, I've already responded, yes, yes, Lord, yes and amen. We say, I will be faithful with my identity, song, gift, and testimony. These are four things that every single one of us have. Every single one of us has a a God-given identity that he is leading us into, and he is uh, calling us to be who he's created us to be. He's given us a song that nobody else can sing, your own worship, a new song in your heart each day. He's given you gifts that are unique to you, and he's given you a story, a testimony that only you can be faithful with. And we say, my best days are right in front of me, And we say my best days are right in front of me, not saying that trials and tragedies and suffering will not be ahead of me, not to say that God is only bringing me into experiences of favor and prosperity, but we say no matter what is in front of me, my best days are in front of me because Jesus is already waiting for me in those situations. And every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, and I'm excited to know him more and experience him more and fellowship with him more and serve him more. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. We could say I have peace in my life. We could say I have joy in my life, but God defines his church as overcomers. 
We are overcomers because Jesus is inside of us. So we say, I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Would you stand with me today? We are going to kind of blow this up on on the screen and I wanna say this together. We wrote this in such a way that it would flow off our tongues, that it's something we could memorize. I already have it memorized. Um, I love this statement already. And, And when we say this before we read God's word, it unifies us. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm on a journey of checking out the Lord, uh, of asking some questions, and of investigating God. And I don't know if I'm ready to say all this yet. That's okay. Say what you can say. And God is going to be stretching you and aligning you and place, putting you in a place where your mind is open and your heart is ready to receive what he has for you every time we gather. So let's say this together. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. I am invited, loved, chosen, and called. Because God has my full attention and cheerful yes, I am good soil for the good news. I will be faithful with my identity, song, gift, and testimony. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. That's the Trinity Declaration. You'll hear it more. You'll say it more. This will really align us and set our culture. You may be seated today. Well, we are in week three of United by the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, of By the Spirit. I just gave away the title of today's message. (laughs) We're so energized by Seek Week. um, And I just have to say your thirst for God has really shifted our culture into uh, becoming a church of one pursuit, the presence of God, ministering to the Lord, not showing up uh, saying, I'm here to consume. I'm here as a consumer today. What do you got for me? We'll see if I give it five stars. We'll see how I feel at the end of it. We'll see if the service was good or not. But we're showing up saying, I'm ready to be consumed by God. I'm putting myself on the altar. I want to give God something so that when he comes and he's ready for the fire to fall, there's something on the altar. I'm not here to consume. I'm here to be consumed and to lift Jesus up. We don't just want a seek week. We want a seek life. Amen? Amen, church? Then we're ready for God's word this morning. We talked two weeks ago about being alive by the Spirit. And, um, and then last week, being controlled by the Spirit. Uh, I just want to connect with something real quick. This series, By the Spirit, it's not just a, a fresh thought for the church in 2023. But the, the birth of the church happened by the Holy Spirit. The life of the church is tied to and connected to the Holy Spirit. If we were to to have a service here without the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't be a church service. It wouldn't be. It would be a a club gathering or it'd be some, some sort of social hangout, but it would be empty of the life of God. The church's life is tied to the life of the Holy Spirit. We have church in the power of the Spirit. And uh, not only have we been a church by the Spirit since day one, since Jesus breathed on his disciples before the day of Pentecost. Not only have we been a church by the Spirit since day one, but we have seen the Holy Spirit continue to propel and stir and revive and move the church in every generation, every single generation since the beginning of the church. In the 70s, Trinity did not have a formal logo but they figured it was about time that we had a logo that we could use, something to put on the bulletin, something to put on some letterhead. This was before the days of all the digital media we're using today, and they they made this graphic right here, Trinity Assembly of God, with the dove resting on the T right there, with the Holy Spirit just resting on everything we do, because this is a place where the Holy Spirit can dwell. We are a house of the Spirit. We are being built together as living stones, a holy church that the Holy Spirit can infill. And uh, and so we love that design. It's our throwback graphic. We love to pull from that. And so this series we're in right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but you'll see that the design will go into the sermon bumper, and it says, <coughs> excuse me, it says by the Spirit, 
And it's the same uh, general font, the same dove, and we tried to pull the same color scheme. And so this is just a little design thing that maybe is an Easter egg and goes under the radar. But we like doing stuff like this. It's intentional because what we're saying is is a hundred years ago when the Holy Spirit showed up and shifted Trinity and birthed Trinity and there was a prayer meeting in a basement in a row home in Baltimore, the Spirit was there. And then in the 70s, we were operating and we were being defined by the Holy Spirit. And in 2020, 23 and forward. We will be a church by the Spirit. That is who we are. And so you see that in this graphic. I just, I thought that was a cool thing and I wanted you to know about it. So alive by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. This week, we're talking about being united by the Spirit. Unity. We're united by the Spirit. Ephesians 4. We're going to read two passages in Ephesians 4. This is what it says. And this is something that you're going to want to record and pick apart and take some notes on. So it says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, four things, humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This word keep depending on the translation you're reading, might say maintain. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Later in this same passage, it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. This word in in other translation you may read says attain until we attain unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you're uh, kind of zooming out here and looking at this passage, this is really, really cool. Um, What God is saying, he's saying is He's giving the church, he's calling people, gifting people, and developing people into church leaders with different spiritual gifts to operate with different functions for a few reasons. One, why do, why do you have a, why am I here today? Just so we're all clear. Why do you have a pastor? Why are there apostles and evangelists? Why do missionaries go out? Why? Well, it's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip you, to make you more equipped. Secondly, it's to bring us into unity, to unify us in our faith and knowledge of who God is so that we're getting on the same page all the time, to unify us in the truth of who God is and the truths of the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, it's to mature us. It's for maturity. Sometimes you might get in a situation where you feel like a spiritual leader in your life is really focusing on an area that is underdeveloped in you or immature in you. That's their job. Give them permission. Give them permission to speak into your life and help you mature, to equip you, to unify you, and to mature you. That's why we have uh, the spiritual leadership that we do in God's family. And what Paul says is that these people are a gift They're a gift to you. And who gave you this gift? Jesus. Jesus is giving the church these folks. This is a tangent, and I don't want to get hung up on this today, but I'm just so thankful for every single one of you that has said yes to using your gifts for the Lord in this church. You're saying, God, use me. Maybe I don't have a a vocational calling to be an apostle, to be an evangelist, to be a a pastor, but I know you've given me a job in the kingdom of God, and I'm gonna do it. And maybe you will use me to shape someone, disciple someone, mentor someone. And as you're faithful and allowing God to use you, you know that there's a blessing on the other side of your service for somebody else. Well, I don't want to have that hard conversation where somebody's in disunity and somebody's being immature and somebody isn't using their gift and they need to be more equipped. Well, then you're robbing somebody of a blessing because God has called us to speak truth and to, for the older men to train the younger men and the older women to train the younger women and to mature people and equip them. And if you say, well, that's an awkward conversation, I'm not uh, okay with being uncomfortable like that. Well, then you're robbing another part, another member of the body of Christ from developing maturity and strength in wholeness. God wants to bless somebody through you. 
It's a fact. It's something I'm thankful about. And I pray that you will be blessed today as we walk through this difficult passage. Today, I wanna address some disunity and I wanna talk about the unity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Unity is something in this passage that we are called to maintain and attain. Did you notice that? He says, maintain, keep the unity of the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace and that you would attain unity in the Spirit. You'll grow into and reach unity. So keep it and reach it. Maintain it and attain it. And this is just one of the coolest things about uh, living in this already but not yet church age of the Holy Spirit where God has already given us a down payment and a deposit of eternity in our hearts, something that the enemy can never take away, something the government can never take away, something your school can't take away, opposition and persecution can never take away from you. God's given you something that will last beyond the bones in your body, that will last when everything else disintegrates. He's given it to us already, the Holy Spirit. We need to maintain the Spirit, the unity of the Holy Spirit that's within us, but also our faith and knowledge is incomplete and God is sanctifying us and developing us and it's progressive. You're not instantly perfect when you get saved. Your behaviors need to change. You need to grow and you need to position yourself in an environment that will reinforce the faith decisions you're making every single day. What does that mean? That means I'm gonna maintain the unity of the spirit and I'm gonna attain the unity of the spirit. I'm gonna hold on to what he's given me already And I'm going to develop myself, my attitude, behavior, my habits and mentalities. I'm going to grow into the unity of the Spirit. We have uh, uh, the opportunity and the calling to be developed into a singular, perfect bride of Christ. In fact, where we just read this, that we would become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ in verse 13 the Greek word there is actually that we would be a fully grown man. That's what the, the Greek says. It would be a fully grown, not, it's not plural, it's singular. Because God is developing us into uh, attaining and reaching this unified point where his bride is totally complete, totally unified. Um, and that's who he's coming back for. Here's the key. If we maintain unity we will attain unity. If we maintain the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God, we will attain unity in faith and in knowledge. When the attitude of the Holy Spirit towards one another is maintained, we have an immunity to disunity. An immunity to disunity. Let's break this down uh, right here. So Paul has just spent three chapters. I love breaking it down. Let's break it down. Let's get real. Let's understand it. Paul has just spent three chapters talking to the Ephesian church from prison. And he is uh, talking to them, and what he's saying is, uh, you have so many spiritual privileges in your Christian calling. He's just letting them know, you're blessed. You're blessed. Look at this this grace that God's given you. Look at this privilege that God's given you. And now he says, so then... Because of all these Christian privileges you have, because of your Christian calling, because of your Christian calling, so then, while I'm in jail because of my faithfulness, I am going to urge you. I'm going to urge you. Okay, Archbishop, Apostolic Leader Paul, what are you giving us? You wrote something to us. I can't wait to dissect this in the history books. We're going to enshrine this. Is this now? Is this a a commentary, Paul, or is this inspired? Is this a, a teaching or a preaching or an exhortation? Paul's like, no, none of that. This is an urging. I'm going to get in your face and in your ear. And with all the passion I have inside of me, church, I'm coming alongside of you. And I'm going to urge you with all the passion within me. I am going to coach you. And I'm going to be right there urging you to be unified. To be unified. That word urge is para kaleo. Para means as close as possible. And kaleo 
kaleo means to call out to you. It's like when you're running. Some of you may be yesterday in the 10K or the Baltimore half or the Baltimore marathon. When you're running and your coach is like running next to you and they join you for a mile in that finishing kick. And sure, they haven't been running for 26 miles, but they just jump in and they're pushing you and they're saying, go, 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 go. Do not give up. Do not slow down. Let's go. Let's kick it in. And they're right there running by your side. That's this word, parakaleo. I'm going to urge you. It's like Coach Boone in Remember the Titans when all the the team is doing their push-up drills and they're up down and he's just laying down on the field next to him saying fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter. He is in our ear and the Holy Spirit's in our ear urging us. You know, it's funny. Parakaleo is a verb, but it has a noun to it. And that noun is paraclete and it means advocate and counselor. And guess what? Guess how that's used in the New Testament? Whenever uh, in Johannine literature, whenever John's writing and he uses this word paraclete, guess who he's talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's that one urging us on and urging us on. Um, and, and he's saying, this is my client right here, right by my side. This is my client. This is my team. This is my church. And he is urging us. He's calling us to live a life that looks like the gospel we believe in, right? He says, I urge you, live a life worthy of your calling. So imagine a seesaw, and there is a big kid on that side of the seesaw. That's all I'll say about that. There is a big kid on that side of the seesaw. This is what we believe over here. This is our faith. This is our precious Christian calling. What Paul is saying is you need to lead a big life of faith on this side of the seesaw that matches that big calling that you've received. So he's saying, uh, I urge you, I urge you, let's live a big life that matches it. What specific faith-filled expressions can help us be in balance with the gospel we believe in? What can we do in our life? How can we express our faith so that our life will match our calling? Well, he lists four relational expressions. Isn't it funny that our faith always comes out in our relationships So the Holy Spirit puts his finger on unity and he says, maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. The bond of peace looks like these four things. You'll see them up on the screen now. He says, treat each other with humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Forbearance is a word that that just simply means relational endurance, to compassionately serve people and go the extra mile for them. How many of you know there's people in your life that you need forbearance for? You need some stamina and some endurance to keep showing up and keep saying yes and keep serving them with the right attitude. He says, make every effort, every effort. Not some effort, not a little bit of effort. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The Spirit's the agent of unity. He works these things through us as we give him our faith. The absence of any one of these four qualities immediately jeopardizes Christian oneness. So if you say, okay, uh, I'll do gentleness, um, and I'll also, okay, I'll add in a little bit of patience. But I won't be humble, and I won't, if somebody annoys me, no forbearance. I'm done with them. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, just write them off. They're dead to me. If we lose one of these qualities, immediately, immediately, Christian oneness is jeopardized. So these are the four things when we talk about maintaining the spirit of unity that we need to make every effort to commit ourselves to. It's almost like a three-legged race. You're running with the church, and he puts some big rubber bands on your legs. And those rubber bands of the Holy Spirit are humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. And he wraps us in those things. And we, if we snip some of them off immediately, our oneness, our Christian oneness that Christ has called us into is jeopardized. And more so than that, people will know us by our love for each other. They'll know us by our oneness. So our Christian witness gets jeopardized. This is a big deal. The Spirit modifies our relationships into unity. Not uniformity. You know, it's funny. If we had uniformity, if we were all the same and not diverse and unique, we wouldn't need these four things. You think about that? 
If everybody in this room was a clone of you, uh, a clone of who you are in Christ and your passions and, and your giftings and your skills and your preferences and your conviction, if everybody was a clone of you, you would need humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. But it's funny because God is telling us, telling us about div- unity in diversity by calling us to maintain the spirit attitude, the spirit's attitude towards the church inside of us. And he says it in this way. The Bible calls our, our connection in the family of God joints. He calls it joints. So we have many members, div- many different parts, but we're connected in joints. And every member contributes to the next member. There is life in every joint. Ephesians 4.16 says it this way. From him, the whole body, the church and all its various parts is jointed, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies. There's life in every single joint. We're knitted together by what every joint supplies. When each part is working properly, it causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. There's something in our points of unity, in our joints, that actually brings maturity, that brings growth, and brings unselfish love. Anytime we separate people from the flow of life, we sentence them to experience things they were never meant to experience. I was um, researching something this week uh, uh, about this scripture, and what I read was that lambs are born with really long tails. And what uh, often what uh, shepherds do with these lambs is they'll put a rubber band halfway up the tail of the lamb. When you see a lamb, it's probably got a short tail because they put rubber bands on. They don't need this extra tail. This extra tail can cause issues. They put rubber bands on and cut off the circulation until that extra piece of tail just becomes dead tail and it falls off. It just falls off and it's no longer part of their body. This happens in the church sometimes. When you protect yourself so no one can hurt you, you've also made it so that no one can love you. When you choose to be vulnerable and experience relationship, it does mean that you also will experience pain sometimes. That's a fact. You will also experience pain and you will have to navigate disappointment and loss. That's part of being in a family. Someday we won't have to navigate loss and disappointment anymore because this family has a destiny. And this family has a future in the presence of God where there will be no more pain, there will be no more loss, and no more disappointment. But in this spirit age, we will experience the pain that comes with vulnerability from time to time. And you don't get to control whether others accept you, receive you, reject you, celebrate you, disappoint you, serve you. You don't get to control that. But what you can control is your response to how they treat you. Because we are unique and diverse, yet carry the same spirit, there is grace that binds us together in unity, whatever comes our way. How does that work? How did we get this Holy Spirit unity? How how do we receive it? Because we need more of it, amen? How do we receive it? It it actually says it earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 2. It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about Gentiles. He's like, man, you did not receive the old covenant. You were not walking in God's law. You were so far off, you Gentiles. Um, You didn't receive the prophets. You didn't receive the blessings that the people of Israel received. You were brought off. But guess what? You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In that word hostility also means discord, killing the discord. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have unity by the spirit, paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we wrote 
sin into this world. There was a a law that identified our sin and became a dividing wall of hostility between us and between God. And that sin also brought hostility between us and each other from Adam and Eve down to you and your spouse, down to you and your kids, down to you and our culture, down to you and the people you love. There's hostility. And just like we wrote it out and it was wrote, wrote in the law, a new, a new covenant was written, a covenant of unity and peace. And what did it say it was written on? It says this. It says he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. All the angst and the hurt and the anger that you've experienced when you, you've been offended by people and they've criticized you and they've maybe falsely accused you, slandered you, maliced you, those feelings that you've experienced when people have opposed you like that and gotten you all riled up and, and you just feel like you need to defend yourself and you feel like you want to fire back at somebody, all those experiences, Jesus took that hostility in the lashes that cut up and carved up his body. He took those experiences in his flesh so that the dividing wall of hostility would be broken down and we would come and not rebuild that wall of division, but we would come in unity at the cross. So Gentiles and and Jews, I, I like how a theologian Chrysostom wrote this in the 300s. He said, it was like we took lead and we took silver and we came to the foot of the cross and we went in this smelter and we came out gold. We came out something totally different. People who were far aren't far anymore. People who were near aren't near anymore. They are in the Holy Spirit now. There's something totally different. It's powerful. He says that ceremonial law has been invalidated and nullified. That moral law, it goes beyond culture. And so the cultural hatred between us has been destroyed. Now we have a new covenant, the way of which God wants us to live in the blood of Christ. I like how Francis Chan talks about this. And he says uh, in his book, Until Unity, he says, our divisions today in the church, they usually aren't caused by a difference in theology. There's a lot of heresy hunters out there that are pretty quick to cut people off, pretty quick to say, we don't have unity, I'm against you. Pretty quick to get there. There are times where we need to get there, but we don't need to be quick to get there. The Bible says, make every effort to maintain the unity in the spirit. People can be quick to get there, but there are some people that are so quick to get there, and it's not actually as much by a difference in theology, but a lack of relationship. Our problem is not our difference of opinion or interpretation, but the shallowness of our love. I wanted to include this quote today. This isn't scripture, but I really believe this. I I genuinely believe that a lot of the differences we experience in church, we can find common ground and we can find unity if we would have a little bit deeper love and a little bit more commitment to relationship with one another and be quicker to have a conversation than to talk behind someone's back. Quicker to, to go to someone and have a conversation than complain about them. If we would be eager to have unity and an attitude maintaining the unity of the Holy Spirit, I think that uh, we could actually solve a lot of the disunities that exist today. Not all of them, but, some, but, but most of them. That another word for hostility there was discord. And I want to talk about that for just a second. And um, I'm going to give you three quick thoughts today. Don't worry, we're not warming up. We're we're coming in for a landing. I want to give you three thoughts today about maintaining and attaining unity. And if you're taking notes, write these down. They're also in the, in the Bible app. We maintain and attain unity by tuning to the same frequency. We lose and lack unity by tuning to a different standard. The same frequency we tune to is the cross, And if we tune to different standards, our own independent boasts, things that we've placed pride and identity in, things we're getting validated from that aren't Jesus, oftentimes we end up tuning to a different frequency and we have discord. 
tuning forks are something that piano tuners use, and they could get a hundred different types of pianos, cabinet grands and baby grands and mini pianos and giant pianos, whatever. You could take the FAO Schwartz uh, walk across piano, any type of piano, and they can tune them all to the same frequency so that every single piano will have the same sound. Really an amazing thing. It's a metal tuning fork, and depending on the length of it, it's set to a different hertz frequency, and you will get the exact same tone. The exact same tone. Now, did you know that you can take a tuning fork and file the end of it down and make it a little shorter, or file the insides of it down and make it a little slimmer, and you will get a totally different sound in different frequency from things that were tuned with that tuning fork when it was complete. This is what we do with our Christianity. A lot of us modify the cross or modify the gospel, adjust it to match our lives rather than adjusting ourselves to match the gospel because we have our own independent boasts that we don't want to let go of and we end up with discord because we've tuned to different tuning forks. Um, I like the way Tony Evans talks about this. He says that uh, whenever we talk about who we are in Jesus, he said the best way to talk about it is to say, I am a Christian blank. So anything you do in your life, maybe you are, uh, maybe you are a mailman. I'm a Christian mailman. I'm a Christian mailman. I was a mailman. I met Jesus. I'm still a mailman, but I'm different now. I'm a Christian mailman. And he said, the reason it's good to say you're a Christian something is because whatever is in that adjectival position modifies the noun. Rather than saying I'm a mailman Christian, where mailman, or a a mail-carrying Christian, where mailman then modifies my Christianity, I'm a Christian mailman. So you could be someone that throws mail away every single day because you hate the mail. You are upset. You even have to list an address. And you don't want people. You wish you could live off the grid in the middle of the woods if you could. And you can't stand that there's catalogs coming to your door. You hate the mail. And you wait for that mailman to come and he gives you the mail. And you burn it and bury it in the backyard. You don't like mail. And you become a Christian. And all of a sudden... You're a Christian mail destroyer. And you can look at that Christian mailman and you have the Spirit of God and, and I have the Spirit of God and I might not like your profession because I don't like mail and you might not like that I take your, your effort bringing that mail to me and just burn it right in front of me. You don't like that, but there's something in us that all of a sudden has unity. I don't like your preference on mail. I don't like your preference on mail, but I love the Holy Spirit of God that's in you, and what we're unified in is the mission of God. What we're unified in is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have greater unity than we have difference. Now, this is a beautiful thing when it plays out this way. I totally made up that mailman thing, mail destroyer thing on the spot, but you could apply it to many, many different things. If you were a biologist or a conservationist, or you're an Asian American, or an African American, or a Caucasian American, or a Latino American, or maybe you're a single mom, or you're a businessman, or you're an athlete, when you become a Christian, who you are is changed by your Christianity. So all of a sudden, I'm a Christian biologist, and I choose to exercise my gifts and use in my occupation my gifts in ways that honor God and advance his kingdom and are connected to significant work. There are some things, of course, that are not compatible with being a believer. You cannot say, now I'm a Christian drug dealer. Now I'm a Christian bank robber. And that brings an entire redefinition of what you do and and your occupation and, and who you are. And sometimes there needs to be total redefinition of everything you do. Sometimes there just needs to be adjustment. Maybe the ideology that you held politically uh, was this. And then you met Jesus and you say, you know what? I don't believe that I can comprehensively submit to every decision and leaning of that political party. 
So I can't say that I am that thing anymore. Maybe I lean that way, maybe, uh, or, or maybe I'm a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, but I'm a Christian version of that, which means I don't just vote the party line. I vote uh, in line with my faith in Jesus Christ. And your Christianity modifies it changes, it adjusts, it's the thing that brings transformation to everything else that we were as we walk out the new covenant. And this is important because some of us, catch this, catch this. We think we're all pianos, but we've tuned to different frequencies. We're all Christians, but none of us sound the same. It doesn't matter what type of piano you are, that's not the point. What matters is that you've tuned to Jesus Christ. So if your trauma was the thing that was defining you, it was the mitochondria of your soul, that every day I get up and I have a chip on my shoulder and the thing that drives me is the thing that happened to me. The thing that drives me is the thing I went through. The thing that drives me is how I was victimized and that's the tune that I'm gonna sing. You, you have taken pride and boast and validation and placed your identity in your trauma when you should have taken those things and identified with Jesus Christ and tuned to his frequency. So I'm no longer a, a trauma-affected Christian. I am a Christian who's had trauma that's affected them. And I'm, I become a Christian version of this thing because I identify by Jesus Christ and my Christianity modifies it changes and transforms who I was. People do this with their trauma. They do this with their cultural prides, their histories. We appreciate and we honor our histories. We don't idolize and worship our histories. We worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. So it's not that I'm a white Christian but I am a Christian Caucasian person. My Christianity has modified how I relate to people, and it's not just by the color of my skin. It's by the cross that I stand at. Um, and that's important. We, here's another thought for you today. We maintain and attain unity by welcoming diversity in non-essentials. Non-essential things, preferences, we welcome diversity there. We lose and lack unity by limiting fellowship and enforcing uniformity. Mandating our convictions and refusing to die to our preferences, that makes us a stumbling block for other people and it brings division. God's given me convictions for me to honor, not to enforce on you. We talked about that last Sunday. Um, God has given me preferences that I will willingly, and actually I am called to, die to so that I can encourage and help others be edified and grow so that we can maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit within our church. Um, you know, when we minimize and minimize who we can have fellowship with until, they have nothing, until we have nothing but an echo chamber of our cloned ideologies, we prune down our society until we become people who are non-fluential not influential. Yeah, but I enjoy my small group so much more now that I don't go hang out with those people who were different than me. Okay, I'm glad you're comfortable, but are you influential? Are you connected with the people that God wants to connect you with to help you grow? Are you just going to see reflections of who you are? That's vanity, right, when we're obsessed with our own reflection, when we love to stand at the mirror and look at ourselves When we shrink down our circles to people who only agree with our convictions, we lose influence to, with people who don't have our convictions or have other convictions. In this church, let me just talk about non-essentials for a minute. In this church, we have ethnic and cultural roots in more than half the world's countries. More than half the world's countries. If you are a first-generation immigrant into the United States, you came from another nation yourself, would you raise your hand in the room? Raise your hand. Your first, can we put our hands together for people that came to the United States? 
after being formed in a different culture. If you're second generation, would you raise your hand? Your parents came. Your parents traveled. Amen. Amen. If you're third generation, if you're third generation, raise your hand. Amen. Third, your grandparents came. Okay, now if you're like me, you're fourth gen. My great-grandma and great-grandpa came. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I see you. Fourth gen. There's still a little bit of that Italian in you somewhere or something in you somewhere. I love it. Um, we have people from all backgrounds in our church family. And you know what? We can have unity across those ethnic and cultural divides because we have the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. In this church, we have Ravens fans, Eagles, Commanders, Jets, Giants, God bless you, Cowboys, and Steelers fans, even Steelers fans in this church. A growing number of too many Steelers fans have come to the Lord. The gospel cannot be stopped. We have University of Maryland fans, Navy fans, Penn State, Notre Dame, Duke, North Carolina, Ohio State, let's go, and even, even right behind me worshiping on Sunday mornings, we have Michigan fans, and we still worship and still lift our hands to the same God. We have unity, and we welcome diversity in non-essentials. We have Orioles and Phillies, Nationals and Yankees, and even Red Sox fans that worship here every Sunday because our fandoms are not as strong, our fandom differences aren't as strong as our unifying, unifying Holy Spirit. And um, if we don't maintain openness, we will lose oneness. If we do not maintain openness, we will lose oneness. Uh, brother in Christ of mine, I have to label him that way, a good reminder, who uh, is also in my seating section on Sunday mornings, cheers for a soccer team called Inter Milan, Internazionale Milan, and they are the rivals of my team, Milan, the real Milan, AC Milan, Atletico Club Milan. And these teams have maybe the greatest rivalry in sports history that you maybe don't know about. Uh, the greatest game ever played is the Derby de la Madanina that happens in Milan twice a year, in my opinion. And um, the, the red and black, the good guys, uh, play the blue and black. And they've been playing each other since 1909 in this game, since my team won that first game in 1909. And, um, and it, you know, beyond evil, like immoral evil in this world, one thing that I just borderline hate is this blue and black club, Inter Milan. I just can't stand it. When I'll watch them play, even when we're not playing them, just hoping they'll lose. Like, that's how I feel about this team. And, um, and there's a, a guy in our church, Carlos Salgado, who is an Inter Milan fan. And he loves, uh, he loves to, you know, let me know when they win and, and talk trash to me. And a couple weeks ago, uh, right after my birthday, Inter played AC Milan, and I was just, God, give me that birthday gift. Give me that win. And Carlos's team humiliated and destroyed my team. Five to one. It was awful. It was awful. And, and guess who was texting me during the game? Just after the goals went in, it would just pop up on the screen. Carlos. And I'll tell you what. Uh, well, first of all, let me just say, my team's in first place and his team's in second place, praise the Lord. Scoreboard. But after that game on Sunday, he came in and we shook hands. And the only thing that led us to shake hands in that moment, I can, I can tell you from my spirit, was the bond of peace and the unity of the Holy Spirit. That that man loves Jesus and I can see in him the love of God even if I totally disagree with his life choices in, in who he supports, um, there's a, a unity there, and we can maintain and attain unity by welcoming diversity in non-essential things. Um, this is important when you're married. It's important that you pray together, that you recognize Jesus has not only defeated the hostility that stood between me and heaven, but he has defeated the hostility walls that separated us. And if, can I just tell you this? If you're married and your attitude is like, my husband just does his own thing with God and I do my own thing with God and if we're both growing closer to God, then we must be growing closer to each other and I'm sure we're good and that's fine. 
You're acting as if God has not destroyed the hostility walls between the two of you. He's given you the gift that you can pray together. He's given you the gift that you can worship together and read scripture together. And you can take hostility building blocks, hostility construction sites, and you can bring them to the cross together. And I just wanna encourage you, he's given you a great gift of unity in the Holy Spirit access it, take advantage of it, meet at the cross together and talk about things. Same thing with your children. Talk about things. God speaks to it in, in Ephesians. He speaks to it throughout the New Testament that there is a likelihood that in the teen years, parents, you can embitter, embitter your children and children, you can develop a really insensitive and dishonoring heart towards your parents. As those things are being developed and built, if you're having a regular time where you're meeting as brothers and sisters at the cross, you can destroy the hostility and allow you to be a parent and child better. See, we read this last week in Romans 8, but it's by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. He is the one that testifies to our new family that we've all been adopted into this family. We really do belong to him. Is that your real kid or are they adopted? No, no, no. I am adopted and I'm a real kid. I am his and I can, I can say, Abba, Father, intimate daddy. I'm not a, a, a outsider sheep in my family. I am fully, uh, part, full inheritance, full child of God. By that same spirit then, we cry brother and sister. If it's by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It's by the Spirit, we cry, brother and sister. And we need the Holy Spirit sometimes to testify in our spirit to the other people that are redeemed that frustrate us and that we frustrate and that embitter us and that we embitter so that we can meet together at the cross and tear down any construction sites of hostility. Um, thirdly, today, I just wanna share this last point with you, and it's that, we maintain and attain unity by surrendering ourselves to God's purpose. We lose and lack unity by tolerating lukewarmness. What do we get unified in? Well, we get unified in the blood of Christ, but we move forward with a purpose, with a purpose that unifies us. It's powerful when any time when a group of people unify together. Whether God's a part of it or not, there's just power and unity. That's what we read about in Genesis, where they gather at the Tower of Babel, and they come together for a rebellious purpose, not to spread out and subdue the earth and, and populate it, but to all gather together and create their own society where they could glorify themselves, build, build, build a tower to the sky. And it's so interesting what God says in that Tower of Babel account. He says, let us put a stop to this. Let us confuse their language or else or else there will be nothing that they cannot do. He's just talking about unified people, unified people. So when we talk about unity in the spirit, what are we united to do? We are united for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a kingdom builder. That purpose is the mission of the Holy Spirit. We can't be united in the spirit to build our worldly sandcastles. No, no, no. We are united in the spirit to build a kingdom that will never spoil and fade. And so we have to recognize that we have unity when we all surrender ourselves to the purpose of God. If we kind of have one foot in and one foot out and we tolerate that, we won't have unity in our church because there will be inevitable division between people who are all in and surrendered to God and people that are half in and half submitted to God. This is what happened in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you. Paul is saying there has to be divisions in this church in Corinth. There has to be division. Why? In order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized those who are all in and surrendered and submitted to God will not have everything in common with those who are unsubmitted to God. Think about this. In Luke 18 and Luke 19, we just in, in our Hello, My Name Is series, we looked at this. In Luke 18, we see the rich young ruler who came to God and said, I've done all this stuff. Jesus, what must I do to be saved? 
And Jesus identifies the idol of his pride and greed and says, go and and sell possessions, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sad. In Luke 19, we see Zacchaeus, who had been a thief, who had extorted people, who had uh, uh, fraudulently taken more than what was owed. And he uh, gets invited, Jesus kind of invites himself over And he is so shocked and beside himself and humbled by the Lord that he is filled with joy. He is stunned by amazing grace. And he unprompted, he doesn't say, Jesus, what's the least I have to do to get the kingdom of God? What's the least I have to give back to be accepted by you? No. He unprompted, says right now, here and now, I pay everyone back who I have wronged fourfold, right here and right now. Open up the vault. And he gave half his possessions away in that instant, unprompted. If Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler went to a small group together, what would they have in common? Rich young ruler standing there in pride, discouraged, upset at Jesus. Can you believe that he asked me to do more after I've already done all this? That he, has to, he asked me to give more to him. I've already given so much. God would ask me to surrender all that I have and submit it to him. And Zacchaeus is just looking at him like, are you insane? Are you crazy? He's given us himself He's given us eternal life. He's given us acceptance in his kingdom. He's given us a reward beyond this life. Can you believe that he came to my house and sat at my table and brought me back into fellowship? See, this was the issue in the Corinthian church and it's still the issue in our churches today. There is inevitable division between people that really belong to him, that have really said, Jesus above everything, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, whatever you want, God, whatever you ask, here I am, send me, use me, receive all the blessing and glory and honor and praise you can from my life and people who say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I like that church. There's a difference, there's a difference. And I just wanna encourage you, to find unity in the Holy Spirit by surrendering to the Holy Spirit, the mission and will and purpose of the Holy Spirit. When we all do that, oh my gosh, what a church, what a church. So unified in our heartbeat and our vision that we just wanna see the next changed life. We wanna see God lifted higher, the presence of God fulfill us and glorified. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we're unified in his purpose and we stop grieving him, we will also stop grieving each other. Today, I wanted to end service in a special way and I wanna invite the ushers right now to come with communion. Um, And what we're gonna do is uh, serve you with communion, hold it, we're all gonna stand together and just take a moment in the unity of the Holy Spirit, maintaining that humility, patience, forbearance, and gentleness towards one another. And then taking a step in that spirit and attaining greater unity in our faith and in our knowledge of God. Ushers, you can come forward and begin to serve. When we grieve the Holy Spirit with divisive words and actions, when we slander each other, when we talk disparagingly and dishonoring of others, the Holy Spirit grieves. We need to think seriously about the truth that our words, our flippant words that sometimes we just speak without thinking of them can grieve a holy God. That should affect us deeply. If we act like this, if we say, yeah, the Holy Spirit's grieved, and yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, but I'm fine. I have thicker skin than the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. That means we've lost sensitivity and numbness to the conviction of God. If the Holy Spirit is grieving our division and we're fine with it, we don't care, 
that person's dead to me. I'm fine with never talking to them again. When we're fine with division and it's grieving the Holy Spirit, that's a huge problem. There's a reason why it's kind of a very biblical terminology, kind of Christianese thing we say sometimes when we talk about the blessings of unity. But in Psalms, it talks about how unity pleases God. And when we're unified, it brings this anointing. And it's like, what it says is, it's like oil running down Aaron's beard. And you may have heard that said a lot in church and be like, okay, that's weird. Like, I want to be unified with people, but what does that mean? That my unity with them is like oil running down Aaron's beard. If we're grieving the Holy Spirit that lives in us and lives inside of this church, if we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we're not grieved, there may be moments where we can agree with something God's doing and and he can use us and the power of God can be at work in us. But God gives us his power to build up his church. So if we say, God, I want to cut people off of your church and I wanna build down your church and build up hostility, but God anoint me and empower me to build up your church. We're speaking two different things. And what happens is there may be a, a drop of anointing. There may be some sort of agreement where you, God works with you and uses you, but he's calling you into greater unity because the way he wants to anoint and empower you is like oil running down Aaron's beard. It's like you being drenched with the power of God. It's like you being saturated and soaked, a Niagara and deluge of God's empowerment that he would give you the Holy Spirit without limit. So he does, doesn't have to drip and drop you through this life, but when you are in unity of the Holy Spirit, he can freely give and flow through you. He can build up his church without you worrying about that dam we talked about last week of of a wall of hostility that you're building us up, separating people from his church. That's why communion is such an important moment. Would you stand with me? Gives us an opportunity to examine ourselves and see if there's any slander or malice or uh, bitterness or unforgiveness in us. And there's a clear instruction, and I want you to follow this instruction today. If you search your heart right now and you say, yep, I'm convicted. Yep, there's something I said. That person doesn't even know, but I know. Yep, there was something that person did that offended me. And how do I know if it's an offense that, you know, love covers a multitude of, or if it's something that I need to go get get unity on and clear the air about? Well, have you thought about it more than one time? Has it come back to your mind and come back to your heart? Then you need to, to go have a conversation about it and deal with it because it's living in your soul and that's where the Holy Spirit lives. Um, And so we're gonna take communion, but if that's you, don't take communion. Take some time, find an opportunity to go have some loving confrontation, be a peacemaker. Jesus is our peace and he's also our peacemaker. It's a beautiful thing. So take steps in, in what Jesus called us to do and go have a conversation that we can be unified together. But this is so important because the Trinity has unity within itself. There's difference of person. So inside the the Trinity, there's three people in their space. There's difference of person where God can shake his own hand. And he shows us how to do that within his body. One body, many parts, many hands, two hands. We can shake each other's hand in the body of Christ, just like the Trinity um, supports and mutually uh, uplifts one another. In Christ's flesh, he broke down the wall of hostility. Did you take the bread out today? I've talked to you for a while today, but this is a message that will either limit the usefulness of our church and our lives in Christ, or it will open us up for the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In his flesh, it's very serious. Jesus defeated disunity. For us to not take disunity seriously is for us to diminish the work of Christ on the cross. In his flesh, he took a crown of thorns, he took lashes, 
He took punches. He took nails. He was absolutely physically devastated, devastated so that we could enjoy a unity that is so strong, so strong that nothing could touch it, that nothing could tear it down. Jesus, we thank you today for the cross that unifies us, that broke down those walls of hostility. And we stand in you today, Jesus, not alone, because we recognize you've broken down those walls between one another. God, thank you that we don't have to do this life alone. Thank you that you've not just uh, uh, left us as only children, God, but Lord, you've given us many brothers and sisters to worship you with. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the bonds, wrap every relationship in grace in our church. And God, I pray that you would today end hostility between husbands and wives, end hostility between ex-husbands and ex-wives that both know you, Jesus, end hostilities between children and their parents, end hostilities between uh, different people of different political persuasions and hostilities in our church, God, of people with different preferences and people with different convictions by us uh, taking care of that bond of peace in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for paying for a power of unity that's greater than any disunity, Lord. And Jesus, we know that, that God, you paid the full measure of our freedom, Jesus. You spilled your blood. And that blood, Father God, purchased us a new covenant and a new family and brought us into it to being a church by the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your, your blood today. We thank you for this cup, this symbol in our hands of who you are. God, I pray that this would be the type of love that would flow out of our church, God, that just like you sacrificially laid down your life, we would lay down any preference, we would lay down any, uh, any routine, God, any schedule, so that we could be committed to your body. Lord, we would lay down uh, sacrificially in love for the people that we're doing life with, shouldering their burdens, lifting them up out of grief, standing with them in trials and in suffering. And Jesus, let us be a church that is so unified that no one is that uninvited person left out, but each relationship would be wrapped in your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's take the cup together. Would you glorify God? And we're gonna sing this song together to worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so worthy, God. Lord, we give you all of our praise today. And God, we lift up an unashamed voice that's united with other unashamed voices with boldness, God, crying out our redemption together. Thank you, Jesus, that we can say, not that I am redeemed, that we are redeemed today. In Jesus' name, we worship. Let's sing together.